He is going to be the single most powerful ruler in all of human history. And just as Jesus could in essence say, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. When the world will see this man, they will be seeing the devil's man. This is Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy, Senior Pastor of Community Bible Church of Beaufort, South Carolina. We're in Revelation chapter 13 and a message entitled, The Coming Evil Superman. Much of the Revelation, and in particular descriptions of the Antichrist, tie into the Old Testament book of Daniel. And as we pick up from Daniel 11.37, Dr. Brogy explains the passage which reads, He'll show no regard for the gods of his fathers or for the desire of women, nor will he show regard for any other god, for he will magnify himself above them all. Now this expression, no regard for the gods of his fathers, is really a foolproof expression proving that this man is not a practicing Jew. And some from that conclude, therefore, he must be a Gentile. Had he been a practicing Jew, he would not have used the term that he did. He would not have said the Elohims, plural, the gods of our fathers. He would have said the Yahweh of our fathers. But it's not surprising that the Antichrist would not be a practicing Jew. Doesn't mean he's a Gentile. Think about it. You go to Israel today, and unless you go to Jerusalem or one of the special cities like Tiberias, Hebron, where there's large Orthodox uh, groups of people, most of the Jews who keep moving there are very secular. They're as liberal as you can imagine. They are pro-gay rights, they're pro-abortion, they're pro-adultery, they're pro-partying. You go to places like Tel Aviv and you say, man, this is as pagan as the United States. With the exception of the Orthodox, who are the practicing Jews. Yet they have great national pride. They celebrated by the millions there on the 70th anniversary of their nation. Not by accident, they celebrated by the millions on the victory that God gave them on the 67-day war. It was a miracle war. There was no human explanation how they could have possibly won except the hand of God Almighty because He's preserving them as a nation and He is going to finish the final events in human history through the Jewish people. Yet, most of the Jews are very secular in their lifestyle, kind of like Americans. Most Americans, we believe in God. We're Christians. Yet they were out last night getting blown away at the local bar. They're surfing the pornography on the web. They have little regard. 80% of Americans today are not in church. That's almost the exact opposite of 50 years ago. See, we're just like Israel. We're like the rest of the world. I probably think that, and I could be wrong, but I suspect that the 144,000 that God will raise up will come from the Orthodox realm, people who are looking and breathing and looking for the coming of the Messiah. So this guy will not be a practicing Jew. Does that mean that he's a Gentile? Not at all. In fact, beyond the fact that... um, he describes God as the God of his Elohim. Remember, there's a couple of other things that are very, very important. He comes as the Antichrist. Just think about the title for a second. Remember, Christ 
is the uh, English word for the Hebrew word Messiah. Messiah, Hebrew, Christos, Greek. Same title, two different languages. You could call him anti-Messiah. And that he comes in the place of the Messiah, and he comes opposing the Messiah, namely the true Messiah, the Lord Jesus. It's not by accident that God gives that title. And out of the 30-some titles of this coming Superman of Satan, that's his most popular title. The Jews are not looking for a Gentile Messiah, even the secular Jews. Now, their vision of a Messiah is different from the vision that the Orthodox people have. But nonetheless, they are still looking for the promised Messiah. And their vision of a Messiah is of a Jewish man. Why? Because the Bible reveals Messiah would be a Jew. From the tribe of Judah, from the family of David. You ask any, especially religious Jew, and they'll laugh at you if you suggested for a moment that the Messiah could be a Gentile. In addition, God gives biblical evidence that the Messiah will be a Jew. Listen to Zechariah chapter 12. The Lord said to me, and by the way, if you know the book of Zechariah, there are two parts, 1 through 8, 9 through 14. 9 through 14 is largely a prophetic section that deals with the first coming of Messiah. One section that's quoted, like when Judas betrays Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. And it talks about how the Jewish people, God predicted how the Jewish people would reject the Lord Jesus. And then it speaks of the second coming of Messiah. And most of you at least know Zechariah 14, when the Messiah will literally plant his feet on the Mount of Olives. Never happened. It's going to happen. He is going to split it in two. So in Zechariah 11, the Lord, Yahweh, said to me, take again for yourself the equipment of a foolish shepherd. For behold, I am going to raise up a shepherd in the land who will not care for the perishing, Seek the scattered, heal the broken, or sustain the one standing, but will devour the, uh, the flesh of the fat sheep and tear off their hoofs. And so God has Zechariah playing the role of a foolish shepherd. Why? Because his people, it's predicted, would reject the true shepherd. And so what are they going to do? They're going to embrace a false shepherd. By the way, Jesus gives the identical prophecy in different words. Let me read it to you from John 5, 43. Jesus is speaking to the Jewish leadership who said to the people, Jesus is an imposter, a fake, a fraud, a blasphemer. We should crucify him. And Jesus said to those leaders, I have come in my father's name and you do not receive me. If another shall come in his own name, you will receive him. This foolish shepherd, or the one here described by Jesus as coming in his own name, is allowed by God because they forsook the true shepherd. And Jesus uses a specific word for another, another shepherd. Remember there in the, in the upper room discourse, he said, I'm going to send another one who is described as the Holy Spirit. Not a heteros one, but an alos one. Remember, there are two words for another in Greek, unlike in English. There's the word heteros, which means another of a different kind. So we get our word uh, heterodoxy and uh, heterosexual uh, and so forth. And then there's the word alos, which means another of the same kind. So just as Jesus is a Jew who claimed to be the Messiah, there's coming a Jewish man, as you would expect, as the Jews all believe, 
who is going to claim to be the Messiah, and they are going to embrace him. Now, remember, there's a reason why he's called the Antichrist. And I've noted for you before that the word anti can mean both against or the opposite of, or it can mean instead of. And both expressions in the context are used in the New Testament. In many ways, this man comes and he is the opposite of the Lord Jesus. He comes with power, but not the power of the Holy Spirit. He comes with devilish power. So here's a man who comes up out of the sea. That is, he comes from the nations of the world. He's going to be a Jew who doesn't live in Israel, but in another part of the world. But he also, if you remember from chapter 9, he comes up out of the abyss. What do you mean? I thought he's a real human. He is. But remember the abyss. One out of the sea speaks of his geographical origin. Out of the abyss speaks of his satanic empowerment. He's coming in the place of Jesus. Jesus is the God-man. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. This is Satan's imposter. He is a real human, but as Paul will underscore, and as we will see in the Revelation, he comes with false signs, false wonders, false miracles. He is a deceiver. He does great things, but he is empowered by the devil himself. And so in many ways, he is the opposite of the Lord Jesus. He comes in the first half like an angel of light, as Satan often describes himself. But he is a satanic Messiah. He is the opposite of the true Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth. All right? Now, I know this. You, some of you are starting to glaze over. <laughs> Take some notes. Go home and study it. It reminds me of that seventh grade teacher. She brought out all the tests, and she waved them, and she said, I hate to tell you, all of you flunked the course. Uh, flunk the tests. You're all a bunch of dumb students. And I'm not surprised she said that you flunked the tests. You barely listen to me. Hardly any of you take notes. You're all a bunch of dumb students. In fact, anyone in this class who's dumb, I want you to stand up right now. And they all sat there, and one boy kind of sheepishly stood up in the back of the room. She said, Jim, are you dumb? He said, well, no, ma'am, but I didn't want you to be standing all alone. <laughs> Look, take down some notes. Write down some of these. Go home. Reflect on these. So that's how the beast originates. Secondly, let's think about how the beast operates, how he operates for a moment. Look at verse 1. And the dragon stood on the sand of the seashore. Then I saw a beast coming up out of the sea, having ten horns and seven heads, and on his horns were ten diadems. And on his heads were blasphemous names. Now, these verses, again, are using symbolic language, but they tell us something about the kind of man, the coming Antichrist is, and the nature of his coming kingdom. In fact, I'll not spend a lot of time on it because John is just introducing to us, and when we come to Revelation 17, he's going to spend a whole chapter on it. But let me give you a brief preview. You might want to put on the margin next to the verse, Revelation 17, 9. Let me read it. Here is the mind which has wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman, this religious harlot, sits. And so when the Antichrist comes, he's going to have an apostate religion that is going to gather the world together. And the Bible tells us that this apostate harlot of sorts, this false religion, 
will be built on a city of seven mountains. And by the way, there's only one city in the world like that, and it's Rome. In addition, verse 1 tells me that he has ten horns, which we learn through the prophet Daniel that horns are symbols of power and authority. And here you might want to write over that word, Revelation 17, 12, where the ten horns are defined for us. Let me read it to you. The ten horns which you saw are ten kings who have not yet received a kingdom, but they receive authority as kings with the beast for one hour. Now, we will review Daniel, and we'll go into great detail when we come to chapter 17, but since John doesn't do it now, I won't either, but we'll do it when John comes to it. But again, remember, we learned in Daniel there's going to be a revived Roman Empire of ten nations with ten kings, so to speak, and amongst the ten will come up an eleventh. It says, while I was contemplating Daniel 7, 8, the horns, these ten kings, behold, another horn, a little one, came up among them. And three of the first horns were pulled out by the roots before it. So there's going to be this coalition of ten nations, three that seemingly come together that are going to kick against this man who starts as a little horn, as a small horn. He's, he starts in a very insignificant way, but he gains power and influence, and he rises to the very top, and he is going to rule over these ten nations, and he is going to give them power. He is going to give them authority. And so verse 1 speaks of ten crowns, which picture the truth of these ten kings have a time of limited authority and power under this coming world ruler. And on his heads, the Bible says, were blasphemous names. They will defy the God of heaven. They will embrace the theology of this coming Antichrist. The ten horns which you saw are ten kings. These have one purpose. They give their power and authority, John says, to the Antichrist, that is, to the beast. And so it's interesting because we're going to see that this expression, the beast, refers not only to a person, but to the kingdom that he represents as he gathers these ten nations and then rises to the top and convinces the world to follow him. And we do the same today. We sometimes use a name to describe a kingdom when we say, well, uh, Hitler bombed London. We don't literally believe Hitler got in an airplane and pulled the switch and dropped the bomb. We're saying Nazi Germany bombed London. And that's how we're going to see it interchange. Now, very quickly, I'm just about done. Hmm. How, beyond how he originates and beyond how he operates, I want you to see how he officiates. Think finally how the beast officiates. Verse 2, and the beast which I saw was like a leopard and his feet were like those of a bear and his mouth like the mouth of a lion and the dragon gave him power and his throne and great authority. Now, to understand the description, you have to go back to Daniel 7, and we'll do that in great detail, but let me just refresh your mind. Remember, when Daniel has the vision in Daniel chapter 7, he speaks in that vision of a lion, a bear, and a leopard in that order. John uses the same three images, but remember, Daniel's looking ahead at three great nations. John is looking back, and so he puts them in reverse order. If you remember, here's the leopard, and in Daniel's prophecy, it represented Greece, who with great speed, Alexander the Great, conquered the world. Then we saw the picture of a 
uh, Bear and Daniel prophesied of the Medo-Persian uh, Empire with its crushing claws and its massive strength as they came and toppled the people in that day. And then we saw the picture of the lion that Daniel used to picture Babylon prophesying of this ravenous uh, appetite and the terrifying presence that he bought. Well, Daniel uh, comes up with these different animal images to describe different nations. And so what John does is he looks back in reverse order, but he doesn't use a single animal to describe this coming Antichrist. Why? Because there's no animal that he can really picture to describe him. And so in essence, this coming man is a compilation of the leopard, of the bear, and the lion. And the beast which I saw was like a leopard, and his feet were like those of a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. No animal could really be combined together to fit that particular description. But the Antichrist will come like a, a leopard, and that his rise to power will be very swift. All of a sudden, the world will be saying, man, where did this guy come from? He's now ruling the entire planet. He'll come like with the feet of those of a bear. He'll crush all those who oppose him. And like the mouth of a lion, he will devour anyone who dares to stand in his way. And the Bible says he's able to do this. Why? Because the dragon gave him his power and his throne and his great authority. He is Satan's superman. He is able to do what he does in the way he does it because he's empowered by the dark prince, by this evil prince, by the devil himself. And so he is given three things. His power, which speaks of his strength. He is given, according to this verse, his throne, that speaks of his dominion. And he is given great authority. That is, he's able to do whatever he wants to do. He is going to be the single most powerful ruler in all of human history. And just as Jesus could, in essence, say, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. When the world will see this man, they will be seeing the devil's man. You say, well, how does this all apply to me, Pastor? Let me give you some closing applications. Number one, I am reminded from studying these verses and the parallel passages that when you reject the truth, you believe a lie. When you reject the truth, you end up believing a lie. I have come, Jesus said, in my Father's name, and you did not receive me. If another shall come in his own name, you'll receive him. See, truth and error are opposites of the same coin. They're opposite sides of the same coin. And when you fail to embrace the truth, you will believe a lie. A man, for instance, who refuses to believe his doctor that the, that the remedy he prescribes is the right remedy, he'll fall prey potentially to the wrong remedy. A person who refused to believe the creation account as God gave it in Scripture and as Jesus affirmed it to be true, he'll believe the wrong remedy. He'll believe the lie of evolution. A person who will not listen to someone who's trying to put them on the right road will end up on the wrong road. And, of course, that's exactly what happened to Israel. Jesus came. He literally fulfilled all of the prophecies, but they rejected him for the same reason the average Gentile rejects him today. There are people listening to me today, and they say, man, why, why do you even waste your time on a Sunday? You could be out on the golf course. Is it raining today? I came in about 5.30. I hope it is. <laughs> I shouldn't say that. Um, 
Sadly, though, when it's raining, we drop in 10%. Oh, I guess I'll live stream Pastor Brogy today. Honey, get me the iced tea and a hot coffee. We're live streaming today. We're not going in and fighting that rain. Listen, there's coming a day when people are going to believe a lie. And think about it. Never in all of their history until the time of Jesus, never once did all these people who came along and said, I'm Messiah, never once did the Jewish people say, he's the Messiah, let's follow him. Jesus comes, they reject Jesus, and a short time later, a man comes on the scene, he says, I'm Messiah, and they believed him. Then they saw he was a phony. And another came, I'm the Messiah, you go to Israel today. And if you look carefully, you see these posters, sometimes of rabbis who are long dead, sometimes men who Jewish people think is the Messiah. But I'm telling you, all these little Messiahs who have come along are like nothing compared to the man who's going to come, where the nation at first is going to believe he is our Messiah. But he'll do something that we'll study in this chapter that will convince them that he's wrong. But let me tell you today, if you reject the truth, you will believe a lie. And I will prove to you from the Word of God that if you ignore the Lord Jesus, and if the rapture were to happen this afternoon, you won't say, you know, Brogy was right. I guess I need to turn my life over to Jesus. The Bible teaches you will not do that. Because you would not receive the truth in this age, we will see you will end up believing the lie. Secondly, I learned from this passage that the human heart was made to be occupied by the Lord. The Antichrist will accept the offer that Jesus rejected in Matthew 4 when Jesus there is offered all the kingdoms of the world if he will bow down and worship. Jesus refused that ridiculous offer, but it appears the Antichrist, he'll accept it. And Satan will control this coming world leader, and he'll be able to deceive just as Satan is able to deceive but there's an interesting parallel in our day that I want to point out in your thinking. Your heart was made to be occupied. Your heart was made to be occupied and controlled by the living God. And when you get saved, the living God, God the Holy Spirit, makes you a temple of the Holy Spirit. You literally become a temple of the living God. And if you are past the age of accountability and you've never received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then the Bible says whether you like it or not, you are of your father the devil. That's what Jesus said to the religious men of his day. You are in the kingdom of darkness. Paul says you are under control of the prince of the power of the air who is energizing the sons of disobedience. And God wants to occupy your heart and if you ignore him, there will come a time when you will cross a line known only to God where you will believe a lie. And you might think this morning that your religion is just fine. Leave me alone. I go to church. I've been baptized. I'm a respectable person. I don't hurt anyone. 
But Jesus said you must be born again to enter the kingdom of God. You want to go to heaven? You either receive Jesus for who he is, the truth, or you have to write him off as a liar or some egomaniac. His claims are so intense, so narrow, so precise, you have to decide what you're going to do with him. There's coming a day, probably sooner than most of us realize, when all of a sudden millions of Christians across this planet are going to be gone. And if you are still here, you will remember this sermon. And in the end, if you die and go to hell, you will remember these words on this Sunday for all of eternity. And you will say, why did I not receive Jesus? Father, we thank you a day will come when the honor that is due your son's name will happen, that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord, some freely, some before they are forever cast into the lake of fire. Father, we recognize the truth of your word that you do not make hell for man, but for the devil and his fallen angels, that any man who goes there is intruding because you did not design it for us. But thank you that you made a provision, a way of escape, not just from hell, but to a relationship with you where we can literally actually become a temple of the Spirit, where we can know you in a personal, life-changing way. Father, I pray today for someone whom the Spirit has been dealing with concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment, that they would there in their own heart today call upon Jesus. For you said, whoever will call on his name will be saved. Help someone, Father, in simple, childlike faith to say, Father, I am a rebel, but I thank you that you sent your son for all of my rebellion. Lord Jesus, thank you for dying in my place and bearing the judgment I deserve. Thank you for proving that you are Lord when you were raised from the dead. Lord Jesus, I turn today from my own self-centered life and I ask you to be my Lord and Savior. Just tell them, say it, mean it. God can't lie. Lord Jesus, save me. Now, Father, there are some of us who have done that, but we've become a part of the lukewarm age that you said would manifests itself in the final days before the rapture. People who are indifferent Christian people who come to church when it's convenient, who serve if they feel like it, who give if it's convenient, and have so compromised their lives with alcohol, pornography, and all kinds of wicked things, and they think it's just fine. And Father, how sad it is for us to see schools, once great Christian schools that now are endorsing things that they taught for a hundred years to be wrong. God, our hearts, O oh God, watch over them. Help us to walk in a way that's worthy of what you have called us to be. Help us to warn men and women and girls and boys, even this week, to flee to Jesus, our only hope. 
We ask it in his precious name. Amen. To listen again to today's study from Revelation 13 entitled, The Coming Evil Superman, use the Search the Scriptures app for smartphones and tablets, or visit us online at searchthescriptures.org. You can also order a CD or DVD by calling 877-787-7478 and requesting program REV31. Tomorrow, Dr. Brogy's wife, Audrey, is in this time slot with her program for women, Mothering from the Heart. And when we return Monday, we'll begin a look at the Master Spin Doctor. Join us then as we search the scriptures.